You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status and the time in 39 years the boston bruins have won the stanley cup talking bruins and nhl sure old-time hockey like it is sure with writer and producer brian d felice brian d felice is an emerging talent bridget prude yeah he's a little bit on the hot seat Burn him! and weei.com bruins writer scott mclaughlin oh, great scott. lace him up for some bees talk right now i'm a damn the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 129 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Frew and Scott McLaughlin. Just another day at the office for the Boston Bruins. 10-1, very, very impressive victory over the Rangers at Madison Square Garden against one of the top goaltenders in the league, one of the better teams in the league. Um, just an all-around really strong, once again, team effort. A little laps in the second period but that happens over 60 minutes um this game kind of had everything yeah it did and through two periods was obviously a, a very close evenly fought game it was 1-1 going into the third um at one point literally uh, an evenly fought game with aj greer and trent frederick both dropping the gloves at once um and uh Greer spending about half the game in the penalty box as a result <laughs> of his instigator penalty. Um, and then when he came out, he almost got another one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, then the Bruins take over in the third. Uh, or I should say eventually take over in the third because they make it uh, two to one on a coiled goal early in the third. But then the Rangers come right back. Adam Fox scores on on an absolute snipe that... Matt Grizzlick probably should have done more to try to block, but instead kind of got out of the way to try to give Olmark a clear view. Um, but then the bottom six strikes again with Felino setting up Trent Frederick, Jake DeBrusque scores, and then Hampus Lindholm with the empty netter. So the Bruins really kind of took control in the third period and outshot the Rangers 17 to four in the third. And like, that's just, that's the mark of a, of a really good team is you're going up against another good team and you just outlast them and take over when it matters most in the final period. Yeah. And it was kind of like you thought maybe for most teams, I didn't think this with the Bruins, but like for a lot of teams you score to go ahead and then the other team scores back 48 seconds later and ties it again. You're like, okay, well then you just lost the momentum, but that's just not what happened. The, the Bruins scored. Um, what is, was it three consecutive after that? So, um, it wasn't a problem for them. I thought the physicality was, you know, they were, they were physical in the right situations. I thought the bottom six played really well. Trent Frederick had one of his better games, um, obviously with the fight and then being able to score, um, and some other plays besides that as well. But that's, you know, what, what people are going to remember or see on the, on the score sheet from him, Charlie Coyle. Once again, four games in a row with a goal. I And he drew a, a penalty as well, and I thought he was actually going to score on that because it looked just like the setup he had when he scored, uh, I think, two games ago in Boston. And like he came across the net, went to make a move and take the shot, but ended up drawing a penalty on it. So And DeBrusque drawing another penalty. So obviously full team effort again. Uh, and saw things that I liked from most players, but it's nice to see Felino and Frederick being some of the ones that we get to commend and compliment. And on the broadcast, Kevin Weeks gave Nick Felino his first star of the game. He had two assists and he played outstanding. Um, it's kind of like 
a full turnaround from last season. You can see it. And he's, he's doing everything he can and he's been very successful so far. I feel so, so good for Nick Foligno because I was one of about everybody who criticized him last year and justifiably so because us as fans and viewers and spectators, we only know so much. We can only go off of what we see. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know what a guy's battling injury wise or off the ice. And so sometimes it can, it can, you know, it, it make you harsh, but again, we can only go off of what we see on television. And obviously last year, like as a fan base, everybody was down on Nick Foligno and it, we weren't wrong in being so because the Bruins themselves exposed him to waivers no longer than a month ago. Um, and for him to not get claimed, show the mental strength, um, to, you know, um, weather that those, those emotions of being waived, um, and to let his actions speak louder than his words. And his words were very encouraging and, and he had a lot of self-confidence going into the season that he, he was going to bounce back, but it's one thing to say, it's another thing to do it. And Tonight's just the latest example. I mean, he has been playing with so much confidence and, um, you know, piss and vinegar and speed all season. And the Rangers game, I think, was the best example of it. He's making plays. He's making, you know, toe drag moves in one-on-one situations, and he's succeeding at them. Like, it, you know, it just reminds you, like, yeah, it wasn't that long ago where he was a 20-goal scorer in this league and a captain for an NHL team. It's just that his tenure in Toronto was short-lived and injury-riddled and, you know, Boston, he had issues last year. But he's bounced back in a big way. And this isn't – he's not playing like a – even like a good fourth liner. He's playing like a, like a really strong, like, you know, third liner right now. He's making plays ha- happen. And it's almost like the Bruins didn't just gain David Krejci this offseason. They almost gained Nick Foligno, even though he was on the team last year. It's just Nick Foligno that we were accustomed to for a decade. And another thing that's jumped out to me, guys, and I'll throw it to you for your your input on this, is that the more I watch the Bruins and the more I hear the broadcast talk about how the Bruins didn't change much about the defensive structure that was already in place, it's almost like Bruce Cassidy's still on the coaching staff, even though he's not, because his, his, his defensive structure is what they're using. And so they kept that in place, and then they just brought in Jim Montgomery, and he has proven that, yeah, some like – there can be offensive systemic changes that can make the same players play a lot faster. I remember last year being like, it doesn't matter what systems they play. The players on this, like a lot of the players don't have the foot speed, but here I stand corrected. So they are playing with a much, much quicker pace. Yeah. And I thought, I thought another thing that was said, I'm trying to remember if it was during the broadcast or it might've been pregame on ESPN, but Someone mentioned that they had talked to Montgomery today and, you know, talked about like tightening up the defense. And he ba- he said something along the lines of like in the preseason, he wanted guys to like really play free, like take chances, get up in the rush. And he'd like basically just set them loose to like see what guys could do and wanted to like start with that and then rein it in. And I think maybe some of that carried over to the regular season where we saw early on where, you know, they were probably taking too many chances and getting exposed uh, a little bit at times, especially that uh, that disastrous Ottawa game, still their only loss. Um, but you've definitely seen it recently where they've really tightened up. I mean, they kept the Rangers to four shots on goal in two of the, or five shots on goal in two of the three periods, five shots in the first period, four in the third. Um, you know, I thought overall this was one, even, you know, the, even though they gave two goals, one of their best defensive efforts, team defensive efforts of the season. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely gotten better and that, you know, there's probably still some room for improvement, but you, you're right. Like in terms of how they play in zone, it is basically the same thing that they did under Cassidy. Like they, they didn't really change that. And I think now it's like coming back to guys where it's like, okay, like we can still play this way in our own zone and also be a little more aggressive offensively and score more. Like I think that like that is starting to set in that they can do both. Like, yeah, there's always going to be some give and take, but they don't have to 
completely sacrifice like that defensive structure uh, in order to score more. So I think, you know, you're starting to see more balance and that's like, that should be like a pretty scary thought for other teams that, you know, that the Bruins might be able to, to do both. And so I have, I have a few thoughts on Felino and and the bottom six, Uh, just starting with, Felino almost not getting a chance to prove himself. Like we we weren't sure he was ever going to get to chance the chance to prove himself again as a Bruin because when he got waived, no one knew. I mean, no no one knows where he's going to go. He ends up landing back in Boston, and so he's able to really put his money where his mouth is and and show people what he was trying to tell us. Um, and luckily for him, he got the chance. And luckily for the Bruins, they gave him the chance. Um, you know, we've had some harsh takes on him. We were saying he wasn't one of the he wasn't, you know, one of the top best people to make the lineup. We thought maybe McLaughlin had outplayed him or, you know, Stanika or some of the younger players um, that it might push him out of the lineup. And he's been able to make the most of it. So good for him. Um, and with that bottom six, they have that old identity of a Bruins bottom six. They have guys on it that are physical, not afraid to drop the gloves. Obviously we get this weird double flight that happens that um, like right before that I was, I was watching the game with my dad right before that. He's like, you never see any fights anymore. You know, everybody's got that dad or uncle or whoever's like, Oh, you know, hockey is not the same. There's no fights. And then like two seconds later, there's a double fight. And I'm like, there you go, dad. There you go. That's what you wanted. Um, But so Greer and Frederick, two guys that are on the third line um, and, you know, they, they get in, to fight simultaneously and they both in my opinion they both won their fights um and you know they got some decent shots and those were and those were two really good fights honestly both ways but um that's beside the point uh also you look at the fourth line and Felino and Lauco could do that for you as well um and they've provided scoring and offense and assists the last few games and and so it's just kind of that identity you want in a bottom six if you're used to watching Bruins hockey and my final thought on Felino is just that he obviously used to be a captain and he feels to me like the captain of the bottom six, whereas like uh, Bergeron's the captain of the the top six and those two different identities, like the skilled half and then the more physical grinding half. It's like in high school when I was captain of the JV cross country team. <laughs> you, were, you were in cross country? Oh my oh, God, yeah. you have pictures? Come on, Scott, will you stop? Uh Bridget, that's a, uh, Bridget, that's, that's a, a that's a really uh that's a really eloquent way to put that actually. I really like that. It, it is that is that is exactly what it seems like. He is the the captain of that bottom six. Um and you know if he keeps playing like this, I could easily, you know, see him and Greer like switching roles and because Felino looked good with Frederick and Coyle, obviously in the game winning goal. And but whether whether it's Greer or Felino on that third line, I just Scott mentioned something. I believe it was last podcast, but it was along the lines of the Bruins ideally want that third line to kind of be like bigger bodied and to be able to wear wear on teams down low and in front of the net. And I agree with that. And watching how effective the bottom six has been through no real fault of his own, kind of through injury, but also through some offensive struggles the last dating back to last year. It's almost like I don't you know Craig Smith doesn't really fit that mold. Um and and, and the top six is is log jammed and that's without David Krejci. And it's interesting because it's the same backstory every time we talk guys this year. Every good thing the Bruins do, every strong game that they play we can't say it every episode, but the reality is it's true. Like they're doing it with the hope McAvoy and Krejci. And like, so anyway, I, I digress, but like, yeah, do you, do you, Scott, do you feel like Craig Smith is somewhat losing a natural position on this team? Um, it, you know, it's really interesting because clearly they can play well and have a good bottom six without him. I still think if he, if he's on his game, he brings, more offensive pop than probably anyone else in that group, maybe with the exception of Coyle. Um, and I still think that could have value. Like if Craig Smith plays the way Craig Smith is capable of playing, 
he's he brings a lot of value to that third line, and I think could really help that line score more consistently than you know if you keep it to some sort of rotation of Frederick Greer Felino. I I would be a little more concerned like if one or two of those guys goes cold for a long stretch of time, you know, now you're like, uh, geez, they need to go add someone to the third line. Like wonder what Craig Smith's up to in his new home. Um, yeah, but remember the Zaka is about to go back to the third line at some point. True. Yeah. That's also true. Good point. Um, so, and, and so, I yeah, also I mean, feel it's, un- it's unfortunate for Smith, the point where he finally scored and then gets injured right after. And you see this happen where guys like they, they kind of lose their chance while they have no way to defend it. Yeah, and 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 even before getting hurt, Smith was up and down the lineup, in and out. So, you know, definitely. It, but it it did look like he was starting to turn the corner just before this most recent injury. Um, he had played well for a few games in a row, but yeah. And then there's the other factor of you know at some point they're they are going to have to clear salary. You know, I know later we're going to get into the floorboard injury and what that might mean for all this when it comes to long-term injury reserve and salary and all that. But, um, you know, eventually they're going to have to do something. And it's Smith, if he doesn't, you know, force his way into a regular third line job, I definitely think is kind of, kind of one of the guys who could be at risk. It's really him and him and Riley look like the most obvious candidates because as we, you know, before the season, Felino was one of the most obvious ones. That's part of the reason why he got waived. And now that very much looks like it's not the case for all the reasons we just discussed. Like I, you know, you can easily sit here and say Felino's still overpaid at $3.8 million as a fourth liner. True. But I can't see them getting rid of him at this point. Not, not the way he's playing, not what he means to this team, not with the leadership that Bridget talked about. And it's not no sick. It's not, no, it can't be no. He doesn't make enough money. He doesn't so. make enough money, and he's like, I mean, I guess you can move like McLaughlin to center, but right now he's the guy you want playing center on that fourth line. So it feels like he's out of the question, probably. Felino's out of the question. So um, let's just, before we move on from Smith, um, Scott, what's the latest update on his timetable? Uh, so him and Krejci are both day-to-day, and Montgomery said earlier Thursday that uh, both are possibilities for Saturday in Toronto. So they're both very close. If, if they're not back Saturday, I would expect to see them, you know, next week. Yeah. So, it, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see sooner than later um, how, how the, how health coming back into the lineup affects the bottom six, which no matter what the combinations have been this year, it, it, they've, they've played well. eBay motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Um... Let's talk about the top six for a second. The um, because they, because they're on the score sheet tonight too. Let's talk about that David Pasternak goal. Um, that was that was something. <laughs> that, that was that was quite the shot there. It was quite the shot, and it was so weird that I I still don't know whether or not uh, if Shesterkin doesn't like lift up on the net that goes in. So it was like a weird goal. They said that like the ruling was like oh it would have gone in either way, but like. I almost feel like he shot himself in the foot on that, where like if you wanted to pull the net off its pegs, like you got to pull it all the way off. You can't just pull it halfway off and then like leave the space open. Which, by the way, I feel like if the goalie is no one around him and knocks, moves the net in that situation and moves it in a way it that, still it, count. that it allows the puck to go in, yeah, it should count. Like, too bad. That's on you. Don't back it into your own you. goal. 
nobody yeah. pushed you into that no one made you like knock it so i was i was for a second like oh my god is this gonna get called back because of something stupid that Shesterkin did to himself but um luckily for the Bruins and Pasternak it ends up being a really nice goal um under weird circumstances nonetheless but just a great backhand that's like a very high skilled shot that not a lot of guys are gonna make yeah and a great play by him right before it to uh fend off the defenseman it, it was a really physical first period for David Pasternak like more so than usually takes uh a big hit from Ryan Lindgren gets up, goes back after Lindgren takes a penalty, which was definitely a penalty. It was late. He, he said during the intermission, he was like, Oh, like it was maybe a second late. And it's like, well, yeah, like a, a second's a lot of time in hockey. And yes, it was about a second late. Um, and by the way, Lindgren then, never came back. Yes. Yeah, so, which I don't know if like, I don't know if that happened on that hit. He had another big hit, but I mean, obviously we, we know that's how Lindgren plays. And yeah, I think, I think he probably hurt himself at some point. Um, but Pasternak on the goal, again, like took contact, stayed on his feet, bounced right off it. And then that's when he ends up getting himself a little space to throw that backhander on net. And I, you know, I, I don't know if it was sheer luck or if he noticed that Shesterkin might have been slightly off his line. Like Pasternak's so good that I kind of want to give him some some benefit of the doubt and and say that, you know, he he might have noticed that Shostarkin was a little off there and decided, you know, hey, just take the chance. Like I don't I don't have much else going on from way over here. So I mean that that shot was definitely not a muffin. Like you you watch the replay, you see him and by the way, it was uh it was Jimmy Vesey on the back check that bounced off Passionac like a trampoline, which the Jimmy the Jimmy Vesey sweepstakes of of twenty twenty seventeen or whatever the hell whatever year that was when he <laughs> when he was talking about going to the Bruins and then went to the Rangers. And then I remember there was like a behind the B a few years later where Marshan goes up to him and he's like, you chose the wrong team, kid. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you see that, that, that Pashnak replay from the goal line, he takes a look at the net and he makes sure to get a lot on that backhander. Now, does he think there was a prayer that was going in? No, but what else was he trying to do if he wasn't trying to do something like that? You know what I mean? Um, he definitely, he definitely, meant for that to be the best result he didn't think it was going to be that perfect of a shot um and as far as uh Shesterkin hitting the the or bumping up the the net I think that was going in regardless I, I don't think that shot was well going. that's why the that's why the review came back so fast they were like okay he like it looked like it was going in either way um but, uh, but, uh, yeah but I was also I was also like t- talking to myself I was like if they if they were to take this goal back could you imagine? I would be so livid. Could you imagine a goal coming back because the goalie, like after the zone net, threw no? Yeah, like imagine, goal. imagine someone's on a breakaway, like full out breakaway, and then like the goalie just like stands up and the net comes out. <laughs> like, yeah, what? I mean, no, at that's... the very least, you, if, if they did that, it'd be like, all right, well, you better call a delay a game or something like that. I mean, I don't know. Like that's just still, it's not a goal, they'd... but but anyway, it, it might have called for a rule change or something if, oh God, if it was so egregious, more. but. But yeah, and and so part of the Pasternak play was, um, you know, the only assist on it comes from Taylor Hall. He had two assists. And I think it's funny because the ESPN broadcast gave the number one star to Nick Foligno and the number two star to Taylor Hall. They both had two assists, but they neither of them scored. So, um, you know, what did you think Taylor Hall's impact was on the game? How did you like his play? Um, I think thought it was a little bit of a quiet game from him like despite the two assists but that that line was good again i think hall saka pasternak um just trying to think like of well now, the i know so the hall, he got was was like he set that up himself yeah like, that's so that was a good play he takes the chip up the boards from lindholm leads the rush finds zaka middle so that was good and obviously that's what you want to see. You want to see Taylor Hall making plays on, on the rush. Yeah. He took the puck off the boards. Like he, he came out of the zone, transitioned everything. We talk about, you know, one of the question marks going into the season, was their transition game going to be better? How are they going to make zone entry? So Taylor Hall does that all on his own enters in into the zone, finds Zaka who finds DeBrusque for a goal. So it ended up being a really nice play that he starts out. So I, you could say he had somewhat of a quiet game. I would argue that a lot of the times he has a lot, like he can be quiet during a game, but still be very impactful where he 
disappears and then he shows up right when you need him. And then he, you know, either scores or, or just has a really nice play. So um, that play in particular was, was really important from him on the DeBrus goal. And um, that ended up making it four to two, where at that point you're like, okay, they're kind of starting to separate. Um, and, you know, it, it was at an important time in the game. Yeah. I, I, I thought, I thought Taylor Hall, I thought he battled tonight. I, I thought, I thought, you know, there were a few occasions where um, that I counted where he, he, he won 50, 50 battles in the corner and, you know, got the puck from low to high and, and whatnot. So I thought he battled and obviously the assist you mentioned on, on, on the goal, the secondary assist. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought he was fine. Um, and you know, it's the, the offense again, just to kind of, you know, close, close up a lot of the offensive talk. Um, so they've played, they played 11, 11 games this year, right? Uh, seven of those games, they've scored at least five goals. And then in two additional games, they've scored four goals. I mean, is this the Bruins or the, the 1980 Soviets that we're watching out there? I mean, at this point, it's, 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 it's coming from everywhere too. And it's not a fluke. It's the way they're playing. It's not like you don't, you, you don't do that by, by happenstance. No. And, and because Lindholm gets the empty netter at the end of the game, their, their points per game average or their goals per game average is actually going to go up after, after today. And it's like just right around 4.5 goals per game. Um, It's crazy. It's, it's hard for me to think of another team that's been scoring at that piece, not just the Bruins. Obviously this is their best start in franchise history, but um, it's so encouraging just the numbers, but who they're coming from. Um, and it's all in front of goaltending. That's been really solid. Obviously, Olmark still hasn't lost yet. Um, and by the way, Shesterkin hadn't lost until today either. So, um, you know, two, two really solid goaltenders. You're like, okay, well, something's going to give. One of these guys is going to get their first loss. And Olmark ends up, you know, I, I thought maybe the Fox goal was a little bit weak. Grizzly could have played it tighter too, obviously. But Olmark looked good again. He didn't face as many shots as he had been. But, um, you know, he's making the saves you need him to make. Yeah, and they're all like you can't say it enough. All this offense is coming with what, like one period so far this season when Martian and Krejci were both in the lineup. Uh, you know, no Martian before that, no Krejci since then, no McAvoy at all, no Grizzly for the first, you know, how what five games or whatever. Like Carlo was missing at certain points. Yeah, it's it's just crazy like the idea of what this lineup could look like when everyone's actually healthy if at this point i'm just thinking like if we see that at some point but yeah i mean it's it's crazy and like they're not gonna you know at some point i think they'll slow down but i mean look there's been league leaders and goals the last couple years that have ended up over four game so is it insane to think like they could stay at four or a little over four? Like it might not be that crazy. I mean, you look at, you look at the depth, you look at the high end talent that they have at the top of their lineup. It's, it's like, I don't know. Why can't this team lead the league in goals? Like it's, it's possible. They absolutely well, yeah, think about pasta. Yeah. He's off to easily the best start of his career. Yeah, and I don't know if this is updated, but I mean, if he was going into the game, he was set third in the league in points behind only McDavid and Dreisaitl. So, well, I know McDavid at least had a goal in the first period of, of the Devils game. I don't know what transpired afterwards, but I mean, the Bruins absolutely can can be among the league leaders, if not the league leader in offense this year. And but one thing that's annoying to me is that people. People talk about this, and I'm not even going to acknowledge who, but a lot of people in the I know who I saw your tweet. They, 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 it's many, it's many people looking for headlines, but they act like offense is a bad thing. Yeah, offense is a bad thing if you're if there's no defense. Like, and you're gonna people are gonna bring up the Senators game, they're gonna bring up the Penguins game, the latter which they won, but the other nine games this year, the Bruins have had lockdown defense and goaltending so like the you watch the bruins against the rangers tonight even even in the second period when the rangers carried a good amount of the play watch the bruins attention to detail in their own zone 
making sure that each guy has an assignment and that they're in position, especially when things get scrambled. Hockey is one of those sports where it's like you can sit things. It's such a fast moving game. You can, you can go over a structure and practice and you can go over X's and O's on the whiteboard, but the puck is bouncing around like crazy. It's a fast game. Shit gets mumbled and jumbled all the time. And that's why communication is so important in hockey. And you watch the Bruins attention to detail and they're always, always communicating. Compare that to watching the Florida Panthers last year. Like, yeah, Florida scored a million goals, but their attention to detail defensively was non-existent. And that's why they were bouncing four, four or five games in the first round. It's like, the, that's not the Bruins. The Bruins can score 100 goals per game, but they're always focusing on defense too. They know it starts from the net out. And so, you know, obviously I'm like, People are people bring up those those negative takes for 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 attention and whatnot. But anybody who knows the game and isn't trying to just you know get clicks understands that the Bruins are not one of these just running gun offensive teams. Like they've had a couple outlying games early on in the season under a new coach and a new system, and they're not completely healthy in the back end. But come on, enough enough is enough. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I, I would maybe be concerned about that. Like if they had brought in a coach who had a reputation of being all offense elsewhere. Like as I've as I've said before, Montgomery's teams play defense. Like he had great defenses at the University of Denver. His Stars team was, I think, number one or number two defense in the NHL. His one full season there. Like his teams know how to defend. He he knows how to teach defense. He wants his teams to defend, and the Bruins will. Like I said earlier, like I think there was some free reign given to guys early on, especially in the preseason. And then it was kind of reined in and like, you're seeing that process and they're, they're not completely there yet, but like, they're going to keep working towards that. Like you said, like they are not, they're not just going to be wide open, run and gun, you know, trade odd man rushes all game. Like that's, that's not what a Jim Montgomery team does. And it's, it's not what the Bruins do. Like you, you're not going to completely change. Like you think like a Patrice Bergeron led team is gonna play like that? Like no, like that's it's not what they're gonna do. So yeah, they'll score more. They'll they'll take more chances than they have in recent years, but they're still gonna play defense. Like they're still gonna have that foundation. I just want to address like what you brought up, Brian. Though, because when you I mean you tweeted it out and it was like yeah, this is something that's so frustrating about like as reporters and like the three of us covering covering things like almost it feels like on a daily basis um like doing this podcast so often Scott and I being at the games being at practices talking to guys it's like the reporters are the ones you want to get your information from because the talk shows like some of the talk shows on the radio whatnot they're just it's just sensationalized it's like all right fake news <laughs> like over there and and real news like if you want to know what's actually going on uh, just listen to the reporters, watch, watch what they say. Um, I'll plug us too. Obviously we, we don't, we're usually say how it is. We're not worried about ratings. We're not worried about like, you know, oh, is this going to drive people crazy? So they're going to call into the show or whatever. So I'm sure that we're not the only ones that see it and get frustrated. But, but it's also, it's also just like straight up. It's just, it's just lazy it, because, because you'll sit there and, and you'll, they'll discount what's what's going on in front of them and and then sit sit there and say well you know it's not going to last or they're going to let you down it's like well that's a that's a real bold take to have when there's 32 teams like because then oh in in the weird circumstance that the Bruins don't win the Stanley Cup they could just sit there and say hey, see I told you so but nobody's sitting here nobody's sitting here saying they're going to go 81 and 1 and and win 16 straight playoff games like it's just, it's just, it's, it's bullshit. Everybody knows the agenda there. Um, and I get, believe me, I get the game that, that, that there is to play. Like we, we, the three of us understand that, you know, it is, you know, sports radio and, and journalism. And it, at the end of the day, it is, it is entertainment. Um, well, it's, it, it's the, but, it's the like strongest voice, right? Like we come out here, we do this. We have only so many people that listen, but the strongest voices in like the, you know, Boston sports media market, when they very rarely do talk about the ruins are the ones saying the stuff that we're like, okay, we know what you're doing, but that doesn't make it so that like, we don't just like want to pull our hair out. Yeah, I mean, if you want, if you want, if you want Bruins insight, go see my guy Scotty McLaughlin, and yeah. uh, he's he's more accountable than than other people who spend you know 
20 hours a week talking about what cereal Mac Jones had for breakfast and, uh, you know, <laughs> who was, who was girlfriend unfollowed on Instagram. And then, and then the, they'll talk ruins for 10 seconds and literally not expound upon any of their opinions. So, um, you know, don't listen to the pundits. If you actually care about listening to hockey, the, talk whatnot. the um, slash ads, the Bruins yeah. slash ads that are going on out there, the slander. Oh, it's just, it's just, it's so annoying. Cause no, no one's sitting here. No one, no one is sitting here saying like the Bruins are going to go on. Like, it's like, it's just, it's so annoying. Um, and I've given it way too much well, attention here as this, but I, I do think I said the last podcast that the Bruins might never lose again. So yeah, and you picked so them to we win can't the say no up. one said that. <laughs> But yeah, you did pick just, them to win the Stanley Cup, uh, Scott, before well, before the rest. So. Well, how many guys, for how many years? It's like, you know, you sit back and you realize just how, and I, and you know, I, I, I'm saying this about myself too, how, how spoiled we are as a fan base and a, as a sports city here in Boston. Because, you know, I'll, I find because we watch the team so closely and be, like because we care so much about how they do and whatnot, like, yeah, obviously, like, well, we're going to pick apart little things we're unhappy with or that they could do better. But when you when you take a step back and look at it from a bird's eye view, what the Bruins have done over the last 15 years and the sustained success. And, you know, you're talking about one shit game seven away from having two cups out of three. Um, but we're not going to get into that. But it's just, uh, you know, well, like for, don't how, make us. for how for how many years, uh, you know, the Bruins um, or, or, or is, is the knock on the Bruins? Ah, well, you know, they're. They're a little boring to watch or, you know, they don't have any, it's like, and then, you know, you, know, you get your wish and then it's, you know, you got to find, you got to find other reasons to, to get mad when they're literally like, there's no, there's, there should be nothing but praise to this point. And that's not me being a homer, like, cause you know, I'll shit on them when they need to be shit on, but like with the injuries that they've had and, and, and the, the low expectations they had out of the gate during these injuries, it's just like, come on, what are we doing here? But, um, anywho, so, uh, <laughs> Let's let, let's let's jump let's jump uh when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Speaking of being on the defense, let's talk about um, the blue line for a second. Um, Scott, I noticed that, well, first of all, Hampus Lindholm, I, I believe is up to three. He's, he's second on the Bruins in points this year, thus far, through 11 games. 13 points in 11 games. Um, I, think I think he's third among all NHL defensemen in points. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. Um so you know he he had another. How about the game. the resurrection of Eric Carlson? Like suddenly yes. looking like prime Eric Carlson again. So those new Sharks uniforms. He's, look good, feel good, feel good, look good. Yep. Whatever the hell this phrase is. Look good, play good. Look good, play good. Um, but you know, guys. So they uh we learned we learned earlier that that Forbert's out four to six weeks. So um we expect McAvoy back soon. But tonight you saw you saw the uh you know Jim Montgomery lean heavily on Lindholm. Carlo, Grizzlick, and Clifton, and um, Anton Anton Strawman just you know he didn't he didn't see much ice time as as the game kind of went down the stretch there when it mattered the most. Yeah, so I tweeted about this because I kind of noticed in the third period, I was like I don't think I've seen Strawman in a while, and he went uh, at the point I tweeted it, he had gone over nine minutes between shifts. Now he did end up playing a couple late just because he can't can't really ride four or five defensemen for you know an entire like period but he montgomery did some bench shortening and even when lindholm did get shifts late like i'm looking now he had a 19 seconds shift and then a four second shift with which, which i'm assuming is just like a face off and you know quick stoppage and he was off but um yeah you know i thought it was, it was a tough game for strawman uh the first Rangers goal looked like he was in position to make a play to break up that pass from uh, Zabinajad to it was VZ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was a nice sauce pass. So, you know, it wasn't on the ice. And it seems like he kind of just whiffed with the hand eye coordination, but you would really like to see him be able to make a play, at least deflect that, you know, do something to so it doesn't settle right on VZ's stick like that. Um, 
at the very least be playing a little bit closer to VC so you can try to like, you know, get your stick yeah. on on it once he has the puck. But like instead of trying to just purely hope that you knock a pass out of the air like that. And I do sorry, Scott, if I cut you off before you finish your point, but I did notice the Riley um Strom and pair got less time and I did notice that was their weakest pair, but I feel like it was mostly the Strawman side of it that wasn't looking great, um, in my opinion. Yeah, and it was I mean, it was Riley's first game since October 25th. So you're talking about, you know, over a week between games, which isn't ideal for someone who's obviously used to being an everyday player or close to it. Um, I didn't really think Riley had a great game either. So I understand why that pairing didn't see a ton of ice time in the third. Um, It is something that the Bruins, you know, I mean, we can kind of loop in the floorboard injury at this point. Uh, the Bruins announced actually during the game that Forbord underwent surgery on his middle finger on his right hand and has an expected recovery time of four to six weeks. So they're going to have to figure out that, that third pairing now. And, you know, I, I mentioned this, but like they have bodies, they have guys who have played in the NHL and Riley and Strawman. they have Zaboral who showed some promise earlier in the season. Like they have guys who, are there and can play. It's not like they have to reach down to Providence for, you know, someone who's super inexperienced, but it just completely changes the look. Like when you have forward in there, you know, you have with him and Clifton, you know, a really solid defensive pairing. And now you see Clifton get moved up with Lindholm, Grizzly Carlo together. I think that's a perfectly fine top four, actually, especially with the way Clifton's been playing but it does leave you a little exposed on that third pairing now where you are probably going to have some sort of rotation of three guys who really have yet to establish themselves on in any sort of way this season. Like Saboral expectations, you know, were high after that first great preseason game. And then really even by the end of preseason, he was starting to struggle. I think that carried over into the regular season. Riley's been, in and out and all over and, you know, paper transactions and all this and, you know, has had just a very disjointed start to the season. I don't think he's played especially great when he's been in. And Strawman, kind of, you know, similar thing. Like, he, he has a visa issue. He can't play. He gets one game in Ottawa, still can't play after that. And, you know, I don't think he's been all that good since he's gone in. And obviously you hope that, you know, if – one or two of those guys or all three or whatever are getting more ice time. Maybe, you know, they start to separate themselves and start to start to play well on a consistent basis. Maybe they just need, you know, consistent minutes to be able to get to that point. But until that happens, you know, you're probably not going to feel great about that. I don't think Montgomery can shorten the bench every night, but certainly in, in close games in the third period, I think you might see that a little bit more. A few thoughts too, like, Remember in preseason where we saw some like Lindholm Strawman like top pair shifts together? Doesn't seem like that's something that they want to go to. Um, and also, if you had told me before the season started that your top pair would look like Lindholm Clifton at this point in the season, I would have said you're crazy, but that's more just a credit to Clifton for playing above what we expected of him. Um, Lindholm has been every bit as good as we expected it. Um, maybe even better in terms of the point production. We mentioned last game, he was a little bit shakier on defense than we've ever seen him, but that's an anomaly. Um, more than likely that's just an anomaly and and he was still able to make up for it and score the overtime game winner and, and uh, you know, get assists on multiple goals in that game. So, um, you know, he's been playing as a, a top pair defenseman uh, and you know what, right around the corner McAvoy's back. So um, that solves a little bit of your um, issues from missing forward on the penalty kill. Um, that was one thing I wanted to look at tonight, just like who steps up on the penalty kill because Forbert got a lot of minutes shorthanded and he was very effective with clearing and blocking shots. And I thought Carlo did a really good job tonight when he was in there um, picking up the slack a little bit. Not that Carlo obviously also kills a lot of penalties, but I thought he did a good job. Uh, I want to bring up a, a name because if you remember last episode, I, I discussed, um, you know, the the diversity and and 
having different types of defensemen on your in your top six to have kind of everybody play a certain role. With Derek Forbert out, do you think it would make sense at some point potentially to maybe call up um, Dan Renouf once again from Providence, given his left-handedness, size, and just similar, I'm not going to say skill set, but role that he would play for the Bruins while as Forbert does while Forbert's out? Do you think that would, as opposed to maybe trying to force feed Riley into a situation where he's really not going to excel or Zaboral or something like that? I think the only way that happens is if they trade Riley really soon, because as long as Riley is here, you don't want to be jerking him around with constantly sending him up and down to Providence. And if you're going to call up Renouf, someone has to go down. So, um, and Riley's the one who's already cleared waiver. So it would have to be him. So I would say like, if you're, if you're looking at that, then, to, then to me, you're already at the end of the line with Mike Riley. So y- you better find a trade and find a way to get him out of here. Um, that's the only way I could see that. Otherwise, you you try to make do with the guys you already have on the NHL roster, which, you know, you're already you're already at your max in, in terms of who's there. You're going to get Krejci back from IR possibly as early as Saturday, which likely means Jacob Logo goes down. Um, again, just because he's the one guy up front that you can send down. Um, Riley would be that guy in defense. So, you know, I, I don't really see a spot for Renouf unless, unless that happens and, and you kind of make the clean break from Riley now. And guys, we're, we're coming down to it. We're like McAvoy's coming back and like clock is ticking on the next move that the Bruins need to make. Obviously well, if Forbert goes on IR, then that gives you a little bit of extra time. I think he, isn't he, is he already on IR? He's on regular IR right now, but now that they know the timeline's four to six weeks, they could put him on long-term IR. Which would extend, you know, this period of time that they thought they would have with Marshawn and McAvoy out um, in terms of their cap tightness. But I really, I, I feel like, you know, sooner, at some point soon, they're going to have to to make a move here. Um, and you know what, even if it's not, even if they do get to push it down the road four to six weeks because of Forbert's, if he goes on long-term IR, they're, they're just kind of, uh, you know, waiting for the inevitable, just pushing off the inevitable that there's too many guys on this team right now and that somebody's got to go, maybe more more than one. We obviously saw the first move of the season with Stanika going. That had less to do with cap and more to do with fit. But there's this is going to be something that, that has to come eventually. Yeah, and just to hopefully without giving people too much of a, of a math headache, just to briefly explain, like, what can happen with Forbort right now, the Bruins are about three and a half million dollars into like the long-term IR pool. So they're not, it only goes over like as far over as the cap. So McAvoy's nine and a half million dollars salary. That isn't all in the long-term IR. It's only about three and a half million. Cause that's how far over the cap they are. So if you put Forbort on long-term IR, there's 3 million of that. You only have to free up like another 500,000 to get, Matt to be able to activate McAvoy without moving anyone. And that's as easy as sending Lauko or Riley down. Um, Riley can bury 1.1 million of his salary. So to Bridges point, like it forward on long-term IR would buy you some time. It would buy you that four to six week timetable that he has, but eventually you're still gonna have to do something else. Real quick. I also want to, commend Mike Riley because he seems like a pretty good kid and obviously this is a shitty situation that he's been put in um what he is going through right now as a, as a as a pro athlete is not is not easy to be in a room where you know in an ideal world you're, you're not on the ice uh and that management has been and quite frankly is currently still probably trying to look to move you like for him to be in the locker room tonight, preparing for a game, and and, and by the way, like I, it's a business, so I, this isn't me like feeling sorry for the. I'm just I'm just relatively speaking, right? When he compared to his his counterparts, um, you're preparing for a game, and and you're trying to get in the right mindset to go out there and do the best for yourself and for your teammates and for your 
put the logo on the jersey. But at the same time, you know, up on the ninth floor, Don's t- Don's probably trying to take calls, you know, and, and put feelers out there for for trades. Um, and it's just so it's it's difficult to give it your all when you know that you're likely not going to be there to to finish the journey with these guys. And um, so he, he seems to be saying the right things and t- taking the right attitude. So I just wanted to kind of commend him on that because it that's it's the part of the business that sucks. And I'm sure for his teammates too. Um, like for example, earlier today he was being interviewed and kind of asked similar questions. And somebody asked him about forward and he he mentioned, you know, he's one of my best buddies. Like I hope he's doing well. Um, so again, it's like these guys are really close, obviously, for and you know, so it's probably not fun for anybody in the room. Kind of like that scene in Miracle when <laughs> when when Ralph Cox is getting dressed and then Herb, uh, Craig Patrick's like, Herb wants to see you. <laughs> and then the boys just, they know he's getting cut, but they can't even look at him in the eyes. It just kind of sucks. So um want to shout him he, up for going through this like a trooper. Yeah, and here's a wrinkle too. The the night that Stanika got traded to the Canucks, Greer, Riley, and Stanika were all sitting on the ninth floor watching that game together. Riley was sitting right next to Jack Stanika when that move got pulled off and you have to be thinking like, okay, those, those three guys are up there. Greer was just, um, you know, he wasn't in jeopardy at the time, but Riley and Seneca, you know, they're in this, a similar boat where it's like, okay, we might get moved. We might stay. We don't know. And while they're sitting next to each other, one of them gets traded and maybe that sticks in your mind. Like, okay, well, when, when I'm sitting up here, like that's just kind of a, um, a signal to me that my time may be short here. And they're they're obviously aware of the cap situation that's about to unfold when when guys get off long term IR. Yeah, and it's like you know, but you can't at the same time. It's like you can't accept that you're gone or you might be gone until it actually happens because it's like, as you see, like Forbert goes down. What if someone else goes down? You know, what if Matt Grizzly gets hurt again? And now that kind of puck moving role that like Riley can play. Now that's kind of opened up again. It's even Krejci went down the day yeah. that Danica got traded, and it was like, well, would that have happened? Would he would he gotten traded at this time if Krejci? Yeah, like they knew Krejci was going to be down, and they're going to be down a center. So it's all it changes on a daily basis. We we know that we cover it. We've we've seen guys outplay what we expected. We've seen guys you know struggle, and we've seen one trade already. But you know, there's another shoe to drop at some point down the line. It might not even be Riley. It might be Craig Smith. It might be, you know, we don't know. It depends what the health of the team is, what, you know, how much salary these guys are taking up and it's all complicated calculus. So yes, thank you, Scott, for elaborating somewhat, but so it's, it's hard to follow. It can be hard to follow. Um, and I'm sure we'll have more on it, you know, as it looks like we're coming down to like closer to when someone's going to get moved. Here's a, uh... A little bit of easier mathematics here. Figure we should talk about talk about it before we go is eight and zero. Which forgive me if one of you guys already brought it up, but Lena Solmark is now eight and zero. And you know, I think the second goal that the Rangers scored in the uh, in the third period, second goal of the game, first goal that they scored in the third period. Yeah, maybe he wants that one back. Yeah, but, the you Fox know, goal. He, the, the Adam Fox goal. But he, you know, he made some big stops when he had to and bit of a bounce back from Pittsburgh. Um, and, and so on that note too, obviously he hasn't lost the season. The one loss came with Jeremy Swayman and net. We haven't talked about Swayman and his injury and um, him and Forbert both went back to Boston, um, you know, after the Pittsburgh game. So they knew they weren't going to compete at another point in the road trip, similar prognosis in terms of time frame on Swayman coming back. He was also put on the week to week. Um, we, his was less specific. Um, obviously they updated four birds to four to six weeks right now, as, as of recording this podcast, it's just week to week with Swayman is all we know. Um, we know it's a lower body injury, most likely in a knee injury. Um, and we've gotten, less information on what's going on with him than Forbert, but Keith Kincaid got recalled on an emergency basis, made the trip to New York, um, was up there as the backup and reporting is that, um, you know, obviously they can ride Allmark quite a bit here cause he's been the, the number one guy anyway, but at some point in time, we could see Keith Kincaid get into the net to give Allmark a break, depending on how long Swayman's out. So that's, that's a potential, um, heading into the next week. Yeah, Jim Montgomery said after Thursday's game that they're leaning towards Allmark again on Saturday in Toronto. 
and you know the the schedule is actually like fairly favorable to the Bruins in terms of timing of this and, and being able to ride Allmark because they don't have any back to backs until December and they've quite a few two or, or three day breaks coming up. Uh, they have a two day break the middle of next week. They have three days off the week following um, three days off right after like the black Friday game. So, you know, I do think King, if Swainman misses say three or four weeks, like, Kincaid's going to have to play at some point. I don't think Allmark's going to start like 11, 12 games in a row, but I could easily see him starting, you know, four or five in a row and then one for Kincaid, then four or five more. Like I could see that happening and the schedule helps them with that. And there's not really any crazy travel. I think like there, there's a Florida trip um, later in the month, but other than that, like everything's, everything's pretty close. Uh, a lot of home games as well. So that all kind of works in their favor in terms of like, this is a, if you have to ride all Mark a little heavier than, than you might like, like this is actually a pretty decent part of the schedule to do it. Yeah. There's actually a three day layoff. Um, not next week, but the following week, depending on how long Swayman's actually out, um, gives them a little bit of more rest time. The fact that they have, no games from the 14th to the 16th of the month. So, um, you know, that plays into their favor as well. Um, yeah, but like you're saying about this, this road trip to Florida, that's going to come, um, towards the end of the month that starts the 21st, um, and then the 23rd as well. So Tampa Bay and then Florida. So, I mean, I guess when you hear week to week for Swayman, you hope it's one or two weeks and, and that maybe he comes back before then, but we don't know. All right, so I think we're probably pretty close to wrapping up here. So just to recap, the Bruins are they moved to ten and one through eleven games to beat the Rangers five two. They next play Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, they go they travel to Toronto to take on the defensively stout Maple Leafs. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I, I'm pretty sure. You know, if you're if you're if you're a Vegas better, I would probably take the over in that game, considering the Bruins scoring five goals a game this year, essentially. Um, and you know, maybe maybe who knows? Maybe there'll be a treat. Maybe we'll see. Uh, maybe we'll see the Bruins reward Charlie McAvoy for going on the road trip and 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 dress him in the last in the last game of the trip. I I was thinking about that. I was I was like, I know they I know they brought him on the on the on the road trip to kind of get him acclimated to the life on the road again with the boys. But like, I don't know. I could see them. I could see them uh, giving them a little a little tree at the end of the trip and giving them a go after morning ski. I I I probably put it like 30, 40% that he may, he might play on Saturday, but if not Saturday, I'm sure you'll see him maybe was it Tuesday at home against St. Louis. Yeah, he's ahead of schedule. Yeah. Um he's ahead of schedule and he's been in non-contact for what day Scott did he get out of the the non-contact? So he's been it's been about a week, uh, right? It was Monday. It was Monday. So but yeah, so so he's or been no, out. I, was that? Yeah, that was Monday. Yeah, it was before they left for the road trip. So he's been out of that that non-contact for you know. By the time they get to Toronto, you know, it'll be a few days since he's been able to practice full full contact. I I think he could. I, you're right, Brad. He could. We could see him. Um, depending on where they think his health is, whether or not they want to risk, you know. I don't see it. I don't. Plane. I don't. I don't think they were lying to us again. I mean, anything's possible, but I think when they, they ruled them out for the road trip, I think they were being honest. Mm, you, you we'll think. see. We'll you see. Think. Now we're skeptical. I mean, look, you know what's you know, amazing to me about the Maple Leafs, though? Like you mentioned, like I actually, I don't totally hate their defense, and Ilya Samsonov's actually been good for them um, in goal. But it's amazing that they're not scoring. Like they're right now, they're 21st in the NHL in, in goals. They're under three goals a game. And, you know, I don't know if like they're, if they're trying to play more defense and sacrificing offense, but I know that their offensive depth took a hit. Austin yeah. Matthews hasn't quite gone going at the, at the goal pace that he was on last year when he scored 60. But that, like, that's the most surprising part of Toronto so far to me is that they're, they're not scoring it nearly the the frequency that we we used it from them well that's, well, my... that's the beauty of this hockey season is that it's been so like unpredictable so far that i feel like 
there's times where I'm seeing stuff I I didn't expect I would see. Sometimes I'm seeing stuff like, was that the first time I've seen that, you know, in hockey or with the Bruins or whatever? And I definitely wouldn't have guessed, um, you know, the the defense or what um, for Toronto would be, you know, holding up as well as they are and the offense wouldn't be scoring as much as they are. I mean, everybody could have guessed Connor McDavid was going to be leading in goals, but there's a lot of other things that um that have happened that you're like, okay, well, that's a pleasant surprise, or that's just different than what I expected. Well, I mean, my my 30 seconds or less take on the Maple Leafs issues right now is that, first of all, in the back end, Scott, like you mentioned, they're on paper, they're not too bad. I think the Jake Muzzin injury and his continuous health issues continue to hinder yeah. that. But, you know, up front, I mean, they they have no bottom six, quite frankly. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's It sucks. And if your top guys aren't going, then – you're going to have trouble scoring. And when it comes to their top guys, I think you're looking at a group of guys that lack true leadership skills. And I think that they are really starting to resent the market they play in because of the constant keeping up with the Kardashians drama that goes on up there. I mean, you, they talk Toronto Maple Leafs 24 seven up there on their media outlets. It's, it's, it's like the Patriots here in Boston times 10 and I think I think the Matthews and the Marners are are fed up playing for those that media outlet. And for I reference, also- Brad Marchand has when asked, I forget who asked this to him, but this was towards the end of last season. When asked, is he happy he doesn't play in Canada? He said yes. Yeah, um, he said I, it's hard to play for those Canadian teams because that's just it's a different. You're you're not the fourth team in town. You're the first team in town. Like everybody knows who you are. Sure, you're the star of the town, but you're getting so much more criticism than you see. And even in Boston, which has a very like in tune fan base, um, it's just a different culture, like you mentioned with the media. So uh, he said he's glad he doesn't. Marshawn said he's glad he doesn't play in his home country. He's glad he doesn't play in Canada. And um, those guys are going through exactly what he was kind of alluding to, which is just that it's it's an unforgiving environment. They would love they would love Marshawn because of the way he plays. They don't they think that their their stars. Marshawn wouldn't love them. No, 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 no. But the problem is a lot of, a lot of their young stars, they just don't, they just, they, they play freelance hockey, globetrotter hockey. But the other thing too, is it's like in Toronto, nobody wants to hear about the regular season. Even if they were, even if the Maple Leafs won 82 and 0, sound familiar um, to a market we're talking about, even if the Maple Leafs won 82 and 0, all they care about in Toronto is we don't give a shit. We want you to get over that hurdle in the playoffs. The Maple Leafs can't do that until April. So you know, the players, you could just tell that like Matthews and them, like they know they've had great regular seasons in the past, but it doesn't matter if you can't capitalize in April. And they know it's almost like they're like, they don't want to play this regular season because they, they just want to get to April and prove themselves. But you can't just breeze through the regular season. You got to play it. So, um, you know, I'm sure they're looking to have a statement game against the Bruins on Saturday. And I'm sure the Bruins aren't going to let them have it or at least do their best to not let them have it. So it should be a fun game. I um, think, I, and we've we've said this before, and then every subsequent podcast will say it again. The the narrative for the Bruins to start the season was the to just stay middle of the pack, don't get behind, tread water, and here they are with a ninety one percent win percentage, plus twenty two goal differential, like best team in the league, just slightly above um, Vegas, which actually they're tied. I believe they're tied in the standings now, each with twenty points. I Bruins have, are a half game ahead because I think Vegas. They are a half game loss. ahead, but yeah. points wise, they're the same. Um, yeah. Wouldn't have guessed Olmark was going to steal the show right away. Not not have a loss, um, you know, at this point in the season, and uh, so that has been the biggest pleasant surprise for Bruins fans, and pro- maybe even one of the biggest surprises in the league, just because from a distance we knew some of these other fan bases and reporters did not understand where this roster necessarily was at. And they saw those deficiencies and those injuries as going to be something that really took this team maybe to like, I don't know, maybe they're, you know, 500 at this point. No, they're, you know, 91% win percentage. So um, that even may be the biggest shock to anyone in, in the NHL at this point. But there's also one last thing I'm, I, w- I want to say about that too, because yes, having a great start doesn't equate to success in the playoffs and playing well down the stretch. But one logistic reason why it is very beneficial to get off to the start the Bruins have and, and the cushion that they're going to continue to have, even if they play 500 for a month, like they're still going to, 
you can you can the Bruins if they can continue to play not at this pace but a you know a top 10 team pace the rest of the way like they'll have the luxury of really really resting and pacing the minutes and the wear and tear on their, their top players in the second half of the season going down the stretch it's there's a big difference between being able to rest Marshan but particularly Krejci and Bergeron select times throughout the latter half of the season than it is if you're battling for a bubble spot, uh, uh, you know, in, or a wild card spot, and just to get in, you need to play everybody. So it's that that is a real reason why this this start is is so important too. So I know we're close to the hour mark. Scott, did you have anything else before we uh, say goodnight? Nope, all good. Bridget, you good? I'm good. All right, thank you guys for listening. We will talk soon. <laughs> We'll be right back.